we might uh, reign with Christ forever. And in his name we pray, amen. I met, it was an interesting week. I met a man in slavery this week. And I'm not talking, you know, chains and shackles and a master's whip, although I'm told in some areas of the world that does still happen. I met a man in slavery this week, and you may have seen his type. They're often found under overpasses, on sidewalks and on the sides of the streets, living in tents and pushing carts in the most unenviable of circumstances. This man was homeless, family-less. I mean, once he had a family. He even married, wife, two kids. But his wife took the kids and moved away, and he has no hope. He once had a job, now no longer. He is jobless, he is hopeless, and though he lives in the land of the free and the home of the brave, this man is not free, for he is bound in chains of his own making called addiction. Drugs. Drugs are this thing that he wants. And this thing that he wants and this life that he has chosen for himself is killing him. And he is miserable. He is in slavery and perhaps the worst part is he is not alone. He lives in a world, in a nation of a bunch of people just like him but I'm getting ahead of myself. In the Bible, we read a story about a nation of slaves, the Israelites. They they were a group of immigrant refugees who fled a famine and moved into the nation of Egypt. And there, due to some really shady, corrupt government policies, they were enslaved over the years until they spent 400 years serving Pharaoh. And they cried out to God for help, and God answered him. He heard, he remembered. And the story of Israel being set free from service to Pharaoh in order to serve God, the story of the Exodus, is this amazing drama. And it all begins with this rescuer, this boy named Moses, who himself was rescued from a corrupt government policy of male infanticide put in place by an evil king. And his sister Miriam watched the whole thing. And one day an angel appeared to a shepherd and gave him a sign to prove that God was going to keep his promises. And that shepherd, Moses, went to confront the evil dictator of the world, Pharaoh, and told him that the God of the Hebrews, the God of the universe, has said, you need to let those people go. Well, the rest is history. Pharaoh decided not to listen. And so we had a showdown. And Moses set out to prove who actually had authority and power around here. And it wasn't Pharaoh. It was God. And though Pharaoh consistently hardened his heart, the stakes kept escalating. And finally, we got the straw that broke the camel's back. Finally, judgment was going to come upon the whole land of Egypt. A destructive flood of angelic proportions was going to sweep over and kill the firstborn son of every man and beast. But for those who trusted the God of the Hebrews, for those who listened, there was a chance to be saved. And to anyone who listened, they could take a blameless lamb, the Passover lamb, and they could kill it. And they could take its blood and put it on the doorposts 
of their house, and they would be spared from the coming judgment. And that's what Israel did. And the judgment swept over the land of Egypt, and the firstborn sons of Egypt died. But the firstborn sons of Israel, of all those who trusted and obeyed the God of Israel, they were spared. The blood of a lamb saved them. And the Egyptians, they were done. They couldn't take it anymore. And as quickly as they could, they kicked Israel out. Leave. Whatever it costs. And so Israel went free. They were no longer slaves. A sacrificed lamb had rescued them from slavery. And I wish the story just ended there on a high point. Sadly, it doesn't. See, once Israel got out, they were free, but things weren't going all that great. God had rescued them from serving Pharaoh so that Israel could serve him. But when the going got tough, And when the road ahead wasn't always smooth and comfortable, they got scared. Instead of trusting in God and in his provision, Israel, like a dry drunk reflecting on the glory days of inebriation, wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery. They had leeks and melons there. Because at least in slavery, you know what to expect. And the story of the Exodus, which began with such promise, concludes with a dire warning that these people are going to find themselves in a new kind of slavery, one of their own making, that their own hearts are going to betray them, that their own desires are going to mess up and ruin their lives, and one day these people are going to end up homeless on the streets of the world, having lost the relationships most important to them and unable to come home. The Israelites are going to need a new exodus, one that will set them free from their messed up hearts and from their screwed up desires, one that will bring true life and freedom and save them from sin and death. That's what Israelites needed. It's what we need too. Because I met a man in slavery this week. And sure, the man I met was enslaved to his own desires. Drugs still have a hold on his life. And the brokenness of a drug life is rather easy for us to see. But what about everyone else? Are you free? Am I? And maybe it's not drugs. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's fame or power or security, financial or relational. Has a freedom to choose what we want in life ended up making us feel like it's killing us and making our lives miserable? Has a freedom to choose whatever you want left you unable to move because you have choice paralysis? Or maybe you've made your choice and it's not going too well. Like a successful, though depressed, YouTuber whose life is now controlled by an algorithm that tells them to produce, 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 or be forgotten. Or have you been lured by the promise of consumerism that really five, 10, maybe 15% more income would just make your life work. You know, maybe a, a nicer house, maybe a nicer car, maybe name brand clothes. For some of you, shoot, maybe name brand cereal or toothpaste. And so you're hustling. You're hustling all the time, trying so hard to own things not realizing that these things are actually owning you. 
Or maybe you think that if people would just back off, cut you some slack, stop getting involved in your personal life, if they would just affirm your inviolable, self-determined identity, that you would finally be free and fulfilled. And surely that that constant emptiness inside of you that you're always trying to fill, that must be other people's fault. Or maybe the housing market or the job market or the stock market. If it just shift, then maybe things would change. Well, I mean, maybe. And maybe it's less obvious than that. Maybe our freedom is curtailed by little decisions, like the addiction to constantly scroll through our feed, looking for one more video, one more picture that will bring a moment of dopamine satisfaction. And we know that this doesn't satisfy, but we keep on doing it. Or maybe we recently snapped at our boss or at a close friend because we have so much pent-up rage and bitterness at other people that we didn't realize. And when we stop and think about it, we are so incensed because other people are controlling our life. Or maybe we're running away from our feelings of guilt and of shame. And so we give ourselves more than we were intending to our boyfriend or girlfriend or to that person or to that job constantly crossing our own boundaries because we just want to feel loved. We just want to feel significant. Maybe in our freedom, we're not that free. And do we realize that? My friend, it was easy. The way he was living was going to end with him dead if he doesn't change. Do we realize that the way that we are living will end with us dead too? Seriously. Even if we feel free and happy, I can confidently state that without Jesus, the way that you're living will end with you dead. Most people say one out of one people die, and most people aren't wrong. Like, no matter what we're living for, no matter what we're chasing, no matter what we're currently, uh, whether we're currently comfortable or whether we're presently depressed, all of us are somewhere a bit shy of 100 years to the grave. As the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Now, in our culture, in America, we don't use the word sin very much. It's easy enough to understand. It means to be off. Just to be off, to be a bit shy of the mark, to have wandered off the path, to fail to live up to a standard. It means that we are all making decisions all the time that just aren't, they're not quite right. We all do it. Maybe we shouldn't have done it, or we shouldn't have done it that way, or at that time, or for that reason. And our sin, it makes a mess. It makes a mess of our relationships. It makes a mess of our personal life and our interpersonal life. It makes a mess of the world, and we're screwed up. We have sinned. The Bible says God made the world perfect. Humanity messed it up. And the consequences of that brokenness, the consequences of our sin is that one day we will die. It's like the, I think it's the second law of thermodynamics, that that every state flows from a state of energy to a state of entropy, from order to a state of 
chaos. If God is the source of all life, then choosing to live apart from him will cause us a slow decay. Anytime we sever contact with the source of all life from the constant energy being fed into the system, we're doomed. And look around at the world. That's exactly what's happening. We, humanity, have chosen to live life on our terms, the way we want to, apart from God. We have sinned, and frankly, most of us don't care all the time. We've chosen our own things. Go to downtown. Go anywhere you want in the world. It is a choose-your-own-adventure that plays itself out on every level from international politics to personal identity. We have chosen for ourselves how to live life, and it is killing us, and we don't even realize it. In fact, we, we spin the reality of our life and try to tell ourselves that death is just a natural part of the framework of, of, of living. We're all part of this great circle of life, so we shouldn't feel tragically upset when our loved ones are ripped from us, as if death isn't an intruder into the world. I mean, there are people who die old and rich, surrounded by loved ones with a modicum of happiness. Those people are very rare and few and far between. And they may think that they're happy. They may think that they're free. They may feel like they're living their best life. And yet the Bible says that there's a way that seems good to people, but it ends in death. And see, one day, death, like a robber and a thug, will permanently knock them unconscious and rob them of everyone and everything that was ever dear to them. This is the state of the world. And how miserable it is for those people who don't have life all put together, for those who are presently struggling. Perhaps we think the best we can hope for is that death will at least, you know, make it quick. See, we're stuck because unless something changes, we're doomed. Death is coming one day for all of us if our dumb choices don't speed up the process. And like the Israelites and like the friend that I met this week, we all need a new exodus. We need a rescue operation, one that will set us free from our freedom, free from our messed up hearts and our screwed up desires. We need a new exodus, one that will rescue us from sin and death and bring us life because the way that the world is currently living will end with us dead. And this is why Jesus matters. Because approximately 2,000 years ago, something remarkable in human history occurred. Jesus rose from the dead. But I'm getting ahead of myself. See, the story of Jesus is an amazing drama. The rescuer, Jesus, was himself rescued as a young child from a corrupt government policy of male infanticide put in place by an evil king. And his mother, Miriam, or if we're in Greek, Mary, witnessed the whole thing. And an angel appeared to a shepherd and gave him a sign that God was going to keep his promises. That sign was a baby has been born and laid in an animal feeding trough, a manger. And that baby Jesus grew up and went to confront the evil authoritarian power of the world, the devil, and show him who has the real power and authority. And it's not Satan. 
And Jesus comes and he's casting out demons and he's healing diseases and he's announcing that God's kingdom, God's new nation is right around the corner. A new nation is going to be born. And in Luke chapter 9, we read about a conversation Jesus has on a mountain where he's talking about the departure, the new exodus that he will accomplish in Jerusalem. Passover Uh, Jesus is bringing salvation, but a Passover lamb is going to have to be sacrificed. Early in Jesus' career, a guy named John the Baptist saw Jesus walking across the street and told the guys with him, said, look, there goes the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus is that Passover lamb. And even though Jesus was the most important person to ever walk planet Earth, he didn't use his privileged position to milk the system for all he could. But rather, he says, the Son of Man didn't come to actually serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus knew he was going to pay humanity's debts. Jesus knew he was going to cleanse what we have stained, that he was going to fix what we, what I have broken. He's going to give his life in order to ransom people who are enslaved and to free those under the bondage of sin and death. See, long ago, the Israelites, they had to sacrifice a lamb and put its literal blood on a doorframe to save the firstborn sons. But God, who is rich in mercy, God gave both. Because Jesus was the Passover lamb, God's Passover lamb, and Jesus was God's son. And God gave Jesus in order that those who trusted in his blood would be saved from the consequences that was coming over the land. Jesus was killed on Friday on a wooden cross. He was buried in the tomb, and he lay there all Saturday. And then Sunday morning came, and something amazing and something remarkable happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And in our modern 21st century, we have Hollywood doing a lot of cool stuff with special effects. So let me just acknowledge, this is not some sort of animated corpse zombie Jesus. All right, he came as a new human, one who has gone through death, came out the other side better than ever. He was seen, he was talked to, he was touched. People gave him food and then they watched as he ate it. He was more alive than the person sitting next to you. This isn't wish fulfillment. This isn't a mass hallucination. This isn't some grand conspiracy to call everyone, including the Christian leaders, to give up their lives and serve their neighbor for no no glory this side of heaven. I've heard the arguments. I just don't think they work. To me, the, the most logical response to the historical data, as I see it, is Jesus really came back to life. He was really seen. He really ascended into heaven. He really is alive right now. And one day he's coming back. He's the Lord of the universe. And if you're Lord of the universe, it means you've got some resources behind you. And so Jesus sent the very best thing, the Spirit of God, the Spirit which came upon the followers of Jesus 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, and entered their heart and enabled them and empowered them now to choose something different, 
to choose life instead of death, to choose freedom instead of captivity, to turn away from sin and its power and now live to God. Something new in human history has come about. Jesus has brought about a new exodus. And that is good news because I met a man in slavery this week and I told him he doesn't have to be. And I would know because I too was a slave once. And for me, it wasn't, it wasn't drugs, thank God. For me, it was porn. It was an eating disorder called bulimia. It was a driving desire to have things perfect outside and inside. But instead of things being perfect, I managed to turn people into objects. And I managed to turn myself into a cosmic disappointment. And I chose it. It was a choose-your-own-adventure. I directed the direction of my own life, and where I ended up was in misery and captivity to the things that I wanted that I didn't want, but I did. I don't know if you can relate. And so I began to pray a prayer, and it went like this, God, let me just be honest with you. This stuff that I say is disgusting is something that I crave. I really do want it. I do. Denying it's not solving anything. I want this. Sorry, there's kids, so fill in the blank. And unfortunately, God, I don't have the power to change my heart. I cannot change my desires. I cannot, I cannot change what I want. But you can And so will you. And he did. He did. See, Jesus set me free. And so now I'm free to serve him. Now my life is lived for him. And whether he returns or whether I go to my grave, I go to death in hope that because one man rose from the dead, as surely as Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon, I too will rise. That death, that robber and thug will be knocked out and everyone and everything that was precious will be restored. Because my life without Jesus doesn't matter. But with Jesus now, everything matters. Because I'm free, now death won't have the final say. And so I've got to stand here like some investment banker inviting you guys to invest too on the surest bet for the best return that I know about. You might even say, all my eggs are in this one basket. Jesus saves. He brought a new exodus, one that saves from death, one that, sa one that saves from, from the wrong kind of freedom, one that saved me from myself. And he can save you too. See, in order to save us, Jesus took on the consequences of our sin, of our brokenness. He paid our debts. He cleaned our mess. Even God doesn't get around the fact that the wages of sin is death. God charged it to Jesus' account. He put our sin on Jesus, and Jesus died for it. He faced our consequences. He took our punishment. We thought it was over. Game over. He died Friday night. He's in the tomb. That's it. And then Sunday morning came. 
Resurrection Easter morning came. There's a reason we remember this every Sunday and every Easter. Because for us, as Jesus followers, this is the most pivotal event in human history. Death was overcome. Death was overcome. Jesus showed that sin, that the devil, that death, frankly, that all of us don't have the power nor the authority to stop him. Jesus showed that he has power over life and death, that he conquered sin, he conquered slavery. No one else has ever done this, and no one else could. And so if you are enslaved this morning, whether in freedom or otherwise, I would suggest that you have one way out. And it's not going to be through a self-help book. It's not going to be through listening to the latest trending podcast. It's not going to be through scientific inquiry and fancy medicine, that if you don't change, your life is headed but one direction. And however you get there, you end up in a grave. And that without Jesus, the power of death has you, but with Jesus, death doesn't get to touch you for long. And so I would invite you to trust him today. Like the Israelites in the dark at twilight on the night of Passover, they put the blood of a lamb on the doorposts at a time of day that only God could see it. So whoever trusts in Jesus makes a private decision that only God can see. But the next morning, all the Israelites walked out. And a private decision had very public consequences. And so if you choose to follow Jesus... Would you, like Olivia this morning, make a public choice to get baptized and walk out and to choose different and to live as someone who has been free from serving whatever it is to serving God? I hope you do. But for the rest of us, my friends, Jesus has risen from the dead, and so we are saved. He has risen from the dead, and so we are set free. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to celebrate every Sunday hereafter because we're free from sin, from death, free to serve the one who gave his life that we might live. Or as the Apostle Paul states it in Romans chapter 6, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one that you obey, whether you're slaves of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves of sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. See, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, to every increasing wickedness, now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. Because when you were slaves of sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that now you're ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin, you've become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. See, the way we were living ends with us dead. In Christ, the way we're living now ends with us alive with him forever. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for your son. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your son. And thank you for your spirit. Because without him, we have no hope. God, thank you that you rescued a people from physical slavery. And yet, God, the story goes on and we realize that most of humanity is in a different kind of slavery, one of our own making. And we are cruel masters. And the desires of our heart that make us miserable, and yet we can't seem to stop, we ask that you would set us free from those. That we would choose to believe that you really are who you say you are. That your son really is who you say he is. That the spirit really is capable and powerful to change the story of our lives and to free us to serve you and to delight in you and to look forward to a day when death will be no more, when the world will be remade, when justice will finally arrive for everyone, when we will be saved. God, we need your son. Would you help us to find him, to love him, and to walk after him all of our days until he comes where we lie in death and hope that one day we're going to wake up. In Christ's name we pray.